Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey, it's Scott Lips, and welcome back to another episode of Spin Magazine's Lip Service. My next guest, since forming their band in 2004, have produced four top ten albums, sold over nine million records, and become one of the world's most popular alternative rock bands. They are Young the Giant, and he is Samir Gadhia, formerly known as The Jakes. Young the Giant was signed by Roadrunner in 2009. They released their debut in 2010. The first three singles, My Body, Cough Syrup, and Apartment, all caught fire. The songs have been featured on American Idol. They've been on Jimmy Kimmel. Morrissey declaimed Young the Giant as one of his favorite new bands. Welcoming, in just a moment, my guest today, Young the Giant, Samir Gadia. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Our show today is brought to you by the fine folks at Thursday's Boot Company. You guys have seen me rocking these boots in every other picture I have on Instagram. I'm always repping them. Thursday's Boots is a bootstrap startup that makes the best handcrafted boots and sells them direct to consumer at some of the lowest markups in the footwear industry. Thursday's Boots tagline is highest quality, honest prices because they use some of the best materials like full grain leather, supple glove leather lining, a gold standard Goodyear welt construction. Thursday's Boot Company sells their boots at prices starting at just $149 with free shipping and returns. They've been featured in all the best fashion press, from Esquire to GQ to Cosmo and Vogue. More importantly, they've gotten over 20,000 five-star reviews from real customers. Thursday's boots are perfect for people who understand quality and don't want to pay a high retail markup for great-looking pair of boots that are built to last. So check them out at Thursday's Boots on Instagram. My favorite shoes, my favorite boots. You always see me repping them. You'll love it. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Welcoming to the show the lead singer of Young the Giants, Samir Gadia. How are you, my friend? I'm good. How are you, Scott? I'm good. Thanks for being here. We were just talking about the fact that you do your own show, Point of Origin. We'll talk about the new record, American Bollywood, your history. Mm-hmm. Actually, this show is kind of similar to your show in the sense that it's about your story mm-hmm. and your journey and a lot about, obviously, your new record touches on that a lot, and we'll get into that. But take me back to the beginning. There's so much to talk about with you, obviously, and we can un- unpack a lot. Yeah. So starting kind of at the beginning, I'd love to know your history and how you kind of got here and mm-hmm. uh, how the band formed early on. Yeah, so I was born in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, my parents went to grad school there. They moved to the States in 1984. Um, and, um, you know, the first moments in Ann Arbor, I think, you know, they were kind of just trying to scrounge together money to, to get their shit together. And um, by the time I turned seven, um, my dad had found work in, in California. So we moved over here when I was seven um, and moved to the suburbs. We moved to a place called Irvine, which you know, some people yes. know of. It's like the, the safest city in the world, the most planned city. Um, but it's also a highly diverse place where a lot of immigrants go and settle after like you know, a lot of tumult in their life. And so my parents were the same. They'd gone through a lot. And they're like, I just want to kind of chill for a second. So we um, we were there. Um, my, my dad was actually um, a professional soccer player. So for me, like soccer was always the thing that I was doing. <clears throat> but 
I think I only realized a little bit later, like my dad was really passionate about music and always was. So there's always music going on in the house. And it was, you know, some Bollywood standards and tunes, but it was a lot of like, you know, the, the British invasion. It was like a lot of, um, you know, the Beatles and Pink Floyd and, and then the, the American stuff, like obviously Michael Jackson. It's like all the big pop stuff that was happening, big pop rock stuff that was happening. Um, and my grandmother was a professional singer as well. So I didn't realize it was like kind of in my blood. It'd been there for a long time, but you know, soccer was like a big part of what I was doing. And then, um, you know, I think so at some point in elementary school, I picked up a guitar because I realized it was probably better to pick up girls that way. And so <laughs> I started <laughs> I writing. That's and, why most guys get into bands. Early exactly. On. It's like, all right, exactly. Guitar. Exactly. I think or I, soccer. I yeah. Or soccer, soccer. could have been a good thing. You know, soccer could have been. Um, and, uh, but I just kind of had a, a natural thing for, it. I actually always started out as a guitarist in bands. And, um, I think, um, an old drummer of mine had heard me singing, like just humming something. And he was like, you know, you can actually sing. And so um, there was this other band that had started called the Jakes, which was a super band of local music, local musicians in Irvine. There's a huge local music scene at that point. Rage Against the Machine had just come out of Irvine, a band, post-hardcore band called Thrice had just come out. It was very much so in that world. I was trying to do something different. Um, and there was a band that come, was in the same sentiment. and. They're like, wanted me to try out. So I, I tried out initially for a guitar, and they're like, listen, we have two guitarists. Like, we need a singer. So um, uh, I did that, and essentially just shit just happened. I mean, the, the Jakes are Young the Giant and a few of the original members, but, um, you know, it, it was like music found me, and it was like this magnet, and I, I kind of couldn't escape it and just was undeniable. So it's interesting. Besides Bollywood, too, I guess, were your parents <laughs> listening to things like Queen and Pink Floyd and the Beatles, or was it? Did you discover that on your own initially? No, it was it was my parents for sure. And my my dad was um, always listening to records and um, has had like all sorts of weird music phases. But at that moment, it was a lot of you know the Queen and Pink Floyd and the Wall. I remember the Wall being on all the time, and the Beatles and um, a lot of Michael Jackson thriller had, you know, just come out around that time. And I was just dancing around the house and listening to music <laughs> with him. Yeah. And Freddie, such a big inspiration for you too, Freddie Mercury, of course. Right. So when yeah. you finally kind of connected with Queen and Freddie, was that where you're like, this is what I want to do, even at 15 mm -hmm. or 16 at that age? Yeah. I think from a really young age, I mean, a lot of Indian people don't even know that Freddie Mercury is Indian or, uh, you know, he's Parsi and, um, spent a lot of time in Africa, but he went to boarding school in Mumbai. Um, and I think that idea of representation was really important to me at, in a young age. I think I figured that out when I was like seven or eight, my dad always knew and he was really proud of it. And so at some, in some small level, I was like, okay, well, this guy is doing this and, um, it's something that I like. And so it kind of allowed me to go a little further in that direction. Um, but at the same time, you know, like the music scene that was coming up in, you know, California, there was there were, weren't too many like brown front men. So I didn't really fully think of it as like, this is a career for me. Right. I just was like, this is what I love to do. Um, I love to write songs. And um, I remember seeing Brown Sound of uh, Sum 41 and I was like, oh my God. And then Tony of No Doubt. And right, then I right. see these brown guys in these bands and that little, those inch you a little bit further and further. It's you know? true because thinking growing up, I guess, you know, besides Bollywood, there weren't probably a lot of role models for you when you were like, you know, this is something I could do. And I think I heard you say at 15 or 16, you didn't really see anyone that looked like you. So you're like, I don't know if this is like a viable career path for me. Yeah, 100%. 
hundred percent. And yeah, there was just like, it was not like a thing, you know? (laughs) Um, and that was like, you know, the whole, I was in denial of it all, all the way until college. I mean, I I went to Stanford for human biology and creative writing and I, I did love it there. But at, at a certain point, um, we'd released an EP, Shake My Hand, had cough syrup on it. And um, I think some record store in Japan bought a, a bunch of units and uh, Kings of Leon asked us to, to open for them in Chicago. So things were kind of happening. And um, and it was at that moment where I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to leave school now. But at, up till that point, I was like, I think I can do both of these things. This is just a hobby of mine. And um, I'm lucky that, you know, it, it was able to, it was the right place at the right time. It was interesting, again, you kind of casually mentioned, but dropping out of Stanford, right? So you go to your parents. I'm assuming they're fairly traditional, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they, when you first told them that you were thinking about doing music, were they like, you know, stay in school or, you know what, Samir, mm-hmm. just go on the road, join a band. They probably weren't thinking that's a realistic way for you to go in terms of a, a journey and um, path in life, right? Yeah, no, you know, in some ways, um, in some ways they were not traditional in that like they were high school sweethearts love marriage from two different parts of india two different class systems and and so like they had this romantic idea of life and i think um in some ways they wanted that for me obviously they came here for for me to have like these opportunities um at the same time though you know like they moved to Ann Arbor and went to Eastern Michigan University. They didn't even know that U of M existed until they got there. And I think when they realized it, they're like, wow, like we've been missing out on so many things, like so much information that my my, my children are never gonna miss out on. And so like, it was obviously a big thing for them, like for me to get into Stanford, that was like a huge, huge thing. And, and then for their son to say, you know, listen, I wanna like go smoke weed with my friends and make music, I mean. <laughs> From biology to yeah. Palooza. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't something that they, you know, they, they always like, um, helped me foster the music part. Like, um, they would come to the shows. And I remember the, the first time my dad ever came to a show. Um, and he, he's like, you know, he's like, I'm really scared after the show. He's like, I'm really scared. I'm like, why are you scared? I'm like, dude, was it like just really bad? And he's like, no, no, <laughs> like I'm scared. Cause you're good at this. And I think that this is going to be a, a thing now for you. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think in, initially I thought it was because they wanted me to be a doctor or whatever. I think in some ways they just wanted me to like, not feel like I didn't fit in somewhere. And I think um, they realized that there were like a lot of mental rigors of being a musician. And yeah. In some ways that's really true. And I'm, I'm like having done this for 10, 12 years, it's like some parts of this job are, are really difficult. You know? Yeah, yeah I, I can relate. I think I was 16 and I said to my dad, I'm gonna go to PIT. And he said, that's great. You're gonna be a scientist, the Pittsburgh Institute mm-hmm. of Technology. And I said, no dad, I'm going to the uh, Percussion Institute. I wanna be a drummer, I'm moving out to LA. To be a rock star, I'm 16. He's like, well, what do you mean? So I can relate. I mean, I think, and, and your parents definitely have a hard time with it, especially if they don't have friends whose you know sons or daughters have gone through this. And so I'm sure it was daunting, but you all met in high school, right? So that you mm-hmm. met the rest of the guys in the band in high school, yeah. and, and you really didn't know anything about the music industry, but you're like, we're just going to do this. We're going to, uh, maybe we'll live together at some point, and we're yeah. going to make a record. So tell me how you met them all and, and how it kind of came to be. Yeah, you know, we actually, some of us met in elementary school, some of us met in middle school and high school, and it's true. I mean, we, none of us knew really anyone in the industry. We didn't know anyone who had made it. Um, all we knew was that we loved to make music together. And um, so we, you know, the Jakes was a thing, and it was kind of a super group. Um, at a certain point, there was a slight rearrangement and shifting. Um, and this lineup that we have to this day is the same lineup that did that first Shake My Hand EP that wrote Cough Syrup together. So we've been through this whole road the whole time. 
And, you know, um, you know, we decided to change our name to Young the Giant um, because of some particular drama with previous um, members and their father who threatened to, to sue us or something like that if we use the name. You know, at that point already, you, you, you have like these leeches who <laughs> kind of want to yeah. come on and, and, and we're like, you know, fuck that. We're not going to pay you for this name there's a lot of baggage anyway so and also the name i think you i, I was listening that you something you were talking about you wanted a the yes the name. you're like we're gonna come up with this really original idea there'll be a the in the middle of the name and then you're like wait a minute minus the bear yeah. it's the, you know this one there was so many other bands yeah little did we know that there was <laughs> right. like a blank the blank like sensation mo yeah. moment that was happening <laughs> yeah. um but you know and, and that name young the giant I, in some ways it kind of pays homage to like our roots and it's like the fact that we don't know anyone we're not connected we didn't have this type of um, i don't maybe wealth or uh, ability to kind of make our way into this world and um in some ways like that's our strength and uh, i think it, it is to this day you know? in fact you were so young you were playing like bars you couldn't even get into the bars so you oh yeah probably had to like hide outside or something right? yeah you know I, I, we used to live right here in hollywood like right on the strip we lived right across the street from the guitar center we'd buy things we'd return it after the gig um and we'd play the you <laughs> they know loved you in there by oh, way. they loved us <laughs> yeah. and you know we guy coming in with a mixing board again for the fifth <laughs> time this month yeah. and we'd you know we'd play like at the roxy the whiskey a go-go and the troubadour and like yeah we'd never we just have to wait outside right. <laughs> until we played. <laughs> and there was one particular place, um, and I, I don't want to like I don't want to call them out super hard, but it used to be the rest anyone. It used to call be called the Cinespace, okay. and it was a great great venue at that moment. It was like happening over there, and there was the one place that would just like let us drink right. and smoke. At back. or something. <laughs> yeah, right. you know. So we were like 18, 19 hanging out, and we're like, this is this is the place to be. So we played <laughs> a lot of shows there. That's funny. Your whole career was based on the Cinespace. Yeah, <laughs> but it, and and actually, when you started making music and you started working on the the first record, I believe you only wanted to record stuff that you could reproduce live right mm -hmm. so it wasn't really about adding you know whether it be you know loops in the music or mm -hmm. probably other parts that you can kind of replicate live right yeah you know i think it was a we were at the tail end of this kind of analog era of of music recording and you know we did we did a live record we went we did it at sunset sound here with joe ciccarelli and yeah our whole point w was to make it feel like a real band and that was like the the feeling that we wanted to convey mm. um yeah it's, it's, it's interesting. If you think about the state of music today and alternative rock and where you're at, and I think the band's been around now for 15 years or so, do you think you would have had the same career trajectory today if you started today versus back then? Because I think the scene was a bit more vibrant back then, and, mm -hmm. and I think rock music is in such a state of flux. I mean, I'm championing the flag for rock music every day, but I don't yeah. know if everyone else is. And so I feel like it would probably much be much tougher to succeed today as a band like yourself if you came out today i i 100 agree with that i think um in a lot of ways it's it's just the competition it's the access to technology but at the same time it's people's appetite and the way they listen to music and I, at the end of the day like i can't i'm not going to be like crapping on change and the and the progress of of society but yeah and there's you know there's a different way that people live with music these days um we came up in an era of headphone music and people loved records and they owned records and they listened to it and it was their personal you know guest or their personal friend that they would walk with and 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 now it's like you know what is the thing that you can play at, at the most in at parties in any situation and so um you know in a lot of ways it'd be more 
difficult, but I, I do believe in in what we do, and I, th I think like we've been able to to find lightning in a bottle multiple times. But I'm obviously very very like lucky that we came up at that time. It was such a beautiful time for alternative music in yeah. general. It was just like it was a renaissance. I remember like yeah. going to all the festivals at that at that point, and it was beautiful. It was great. Yeah, and who were the bands that you were real? Was it like Radiohead? Because well, I feel like there's mm -hmm. even. Radiohead inspirations on this new record of yours. A hundred percent. Radiohead has always been one of our favorites. Um, you know, uh, the Strokes obviously were you know such a huge like moment for our generation. Um, and that, at that time, you know, the first time we did South by Southwest, the Black Keys were there. They had just started coming up. Granted, they'd had like four records by that point, <laughs> but you know, um, it was just a really exciting space. Kings of Leon had just like you know about they were about to blow up. I remember when they asked us out to play in Chicago. We opened for them at the House of Blues in wow. Chicago. And and like Sex on Fire had just come out. And um, so we got to be a part at the tail end of this like really special, this special moment, you know? Also, like just the fact that you had the confidence to, you know, get a house together without knowing anyone in the music industry and, you know, obviously dropping out of Stanford and saying, we're just going to go for this because I yeah. feel like it'd be a lot harder to do today. But what kind of gave you the confidence back then to just decide without having any real contacts in the music industry to, to go for it at that point? You know, we had a few little markers, you know, like, you know, I think Red Light Management had reached out to us. Um, they found us, heard us on MySpace, something like that. <laughs> and, um, you know, we'd had, we were selling some EPs and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, like all that stuff is conjecture. I think, I think it was really a feeling of like, you know, I'm going to regret this for the rest of my life if I don't try this right now. Yeah. And so, um, that was kind of really what precipitated it. So was the Kings of Leon tour the first thing that made you say, you know what, I think we're on to something here at some point? Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I think playing that show was the first time we'd ever played out of state. Um, I remember flying out there, um, you know, so nervous. Um, but after that show, it felt like, oh, wow, this is like natural, you know. And I'd, had, I'd started to have those feelings like, um, you know, locally here and when we we're playing colleges, it felt like really special. But at that moment, like, being at par with like an international touring act and and like putting on a great show i was like you know this is this is something that we can do yeah and at a certain point roadrunner signs you and then eventually fueled by rom and so talk me through again how a band that has no contacts and knows mm -hmm. no one in the industry gets a deal an event i don't know if people know but fueled by ramen was the label that eventually launched fallout boy panic at the disco uh obviously john janik who uh used to run that label went on to run interscope records so yeah there's a lot of history there and to get those kind of heavyweights in the industry like paying attention to what you're doing when mm -hmm. there's I don't know, thousands upon thousands of alternative rock bands. I mean, yeah. Back then there was more, right? It was just the, yeah. the scene was was pretty vibrant. So how do you get the label's attention? Mm -hmm. You know, walk me up mm -hmm. to the point to where you got your deal with both those labels, I guess. Yeah, you know, it, it was an interesting time. Um, you know, we it was kind of old school, right? Like you, nowadays, you know, it's like a qualitative analysis of data and, you know, but, you know, it was like we do CMJ, we do South by Southwest and we weren't even official artists. We do the Red Gorilla stages at South by Southwest. And we'd have showcases. Yeah, well, it was like the like... unofficial show. Like they had like an adjacent festival okay. that was too. You, if you weren't an official artist, it's like North by Southwest. Yeah, it's like it's <laughs> called the Red Gorilla Stages, <laughs> okay. and so we would just you know crash those, and um, we'd kind of started to have these like really really like slow. Like our manager at the time was a was an undergrad student at USC, and so. I think it was actually we'd we'd been playing at this local venue in Orange County called Chain Reaction. And I think one of the local guys who'd go there a lot, um, he'd started, and his name is Andy Sorayo, and he'd started to 
work with Roadrunner at that point. And Roadrunner was at the a point where like they had just had Nickelback and Nickelback was, you know, obviously huge for them, but they wanted to kind of veer from that. Like they wanted, they created an ad hoc team that was like, we also want to be a face of like what's also happening right now in mm-hmm. music. And so they started to build this like really, really special team. They'd poached people from all over the place. Because they were like a metal label for many, yeah, many years. Yeah, metal label, and they had like great artists like, you know, Dream Theater yeah. and like Slipknot and stuff, like, which is great. Totally not who we are, really. Um, <laughs> like, I want to be on the same label as, uh, you know, yeah. Celtic Frost and exactly yeah. Slipknot, right? Yeah, and, and so, you know, they reached out to us because they'd heard of that, and I think a couple other people had seen shows of ours, and they kind of just reached out and were like, you know, we would love to sign you. And it started this really, really, really minor bidding. Like, we had no lever- leverage in the situation. Right. Um, and, but I think one We'll throw in a case of beer. Yes. Sure, okay, we'll, we'll go for that. <laughs> and the thing that I lo- we loved about them is that they were misfits. You know, they were underdogs, and they were fighting for something that, you know, we felt like we were fighting for, too. I think that throughout our career, we felt like misfits and underdogs because we didn't fit into the institution mm-hmm. or fit into, like, you know, this, oh, I know my uncle is in the industry or whatever. You know, like, we didn't know anyone. So, like, that was cool for us, like, that we were going to be special, like, that we were something that was different than everything that they were doing, and, and we ended up, Choosing right. I mean, they were a great, great partner to have on that first record. So, and the first record blew up. Again, mm-hmm. you're only 19 or 20 or something like mm-hmm. that when you get your deal. So the records really start happening. Cough syrup, a lot of the singles that really take off. And my body, obviously, you're, not, you're probably not expecting something like that to happen. Mm-hmm. So when that happens, talk to me about, like, you know, again, the perception of the industry and, mm-hmm. and where you went from there. And Because you went on to make a slew of great records after that, too. Yeah, you know. You know, we did a whole cycle, and I think we were just, we didn't know what was happening, right? I think behind the scenes, um, the industry was changing. Like, alternative radio was changing, and I think the lead time for a single was changing. Um, It was, we were about to get into this really great moment of alternative radio, and um, to the credit of the label, they they pushed Roadrunner way long, uh, they pushed my body way longer than a traditional label would have. I think at that point they would have been like, oh, this isn't working. We're just going to, you know, shelf this band, drop this band. We were like living in bliss, ignorance. You know, we didn't, <clears throat> we didn't know what was going on. We were just kind of schlepping it, playing college shows, opening up for whom, whomever would have us. Um, Do you remember some of those early tours besides Kings of Leon? Who else? I think Incubus yeah. you toured with early on. We'd, Incubus was like a little bit as things were moving on, minus the bear as well, because we'd already gotten a record contract. But I remember it was like the Future Heads was an art, sure. a great band that we used to tour with. Um, uh, shoot. Then, I mean, Marina and the Diamonds, I think that was like early tours. Um, and what were those early tours like? Were you all in a van together? Were you sleeping in the oh, same yeah. room? We were in a van, all sleeping in the same room or yeah. sleeping in the van itself um which is never glamorous i, I think people glamorous. think it's glamorous being on the road and no. then like here's the real story no it's here's the real story <laughs> um yeah there's um an amazing um uh tom siegel's a great cartoonist and he's in a group called jukebox of the ghost but he has like these really funny comics about being a musician yeah. it's like what people think music is like and it's just like a guy trying to poop at a gas station <laughs> right. like two in the morning um but you know it was it was tough but we were so young and like we didn't know any any different and it was a great time to do it we felt alive and so essentially we toured off the record for like a year and a half and then things started to happen yeah and so we started touring again off of the same record so the first record cycle we toured for like three years wow. and um and do you romanticize about those times in the van sleeping in a motel six or not or sleeping in the van you know, you know it, in some ways yes you know <laughs> in some ways no i mean i think uh, i'm very happy that we we got those 
times out of the way um, back then. But, you know, back then we didn't, I remember like our manager was like, listen, I know you guys want to be a career artist here. Like you might be in a van and trailer for the next three records, right. you know, and we're like, sure, that's, you know, I, um, I guess that's what we're going to do. So none of us expected to like get into a bus and get into like playing amphitheaters or whatever, um, that early. And so it just, it just kind of happened. And, um, there were, there was a, there was a noticeable shift obviously in, you know, we performed at VMAs and I think, um, overnight we'd become like a band that people knew. Right. And, um, uh, I think though we've always held this notion that we are underdogs, that we're misfits. Mm. And I think that's kept us hungry and that's what's kept us hungry with the music. And like, I don't think any of us feel like we've said everything that we want to say. And so that's even like 10 years later, that's why we're still here and still trying to push the envelope. Yeah, let's fast forward a little bit to your third record, Home of the Strange, 2016. It was about your immigrant experience, and which kind of leads us to the conversation today about your new record. But that's when you first started really, because initially you're in a band, you know, you always say you have your whole life to write your first record, mm -hmm. and you have three months to write your second record. So sometimes, and we were chatting about it, about the breakups and your music has inspired uh, the engineers, <laughs> you know, girlfriend's music. It was based on, you know, inspiration for something she was going through. So I think a lot of it initially is about love and passion. Then mm -hmm. later on in life, you talk about issues and political mm -hmm. issues and things that are really super personal to you. Mm -hmm. So for your third record, Home of the Strange, when you started to touch upon your immigrant experience, it's kind of leading up to where we are today. Mm -hmm. Talk about that. And, and obviously your podcast that we'll talk about too. So yeah, totally. I mean, yeah. So I mean, that third record, you know, we'd, we'd done the second record. Um, and we had a great time making the second record, but like you said, it was this existential crisis of like, oh wow, now we are like a band. There's you know these stakes, and um, I think the the like the ability to just breathe and relax for a moment, like okay, we're done with the sophomore record. In some ways, was really really relaxing and resetting for us. Um, and we had toured pretty heavy, but I think we weren't nearly as burnt out as we were after the first record. And so. Uh, we'd started to play a lot of college campuses and in 2015, 2016, it really started to like even sense this level of aggression and anger within the college student body. Um, and racial tension. Racial so. tension, really, yeah. truly. And, um, and I think that started to precipitate like this concept for me of like, okay, well, and I'd started for the first time to, I was receiving some racism at, towards me and, um, I started to really just have like this identity crisis. And also I was like, well, what do we want to say now? Like, what is our narrative? And I wanted to try and tell something new. And so Home of the Strange was the beginning of this journey mm. for sure. And so fast forward to today yeah. and the new record, American Bollywood. And so again, you started touching upon these subjects and, you know, does it feel hard to put it all out there in terms mm -hmm. of this record, right? It's super personal mm -hmm. and it's about your path and your journey in life. But mm -hmm. how does it feel to really really expose yourself and talk about mm -hmm. what you went through and what your family went through and where you're at today. Yeah, it's, it's a highly personal record and the record, yeah, it's, we did it in four parts and it's like based off of an Indian mythology and it's like the saga of the immigrant in America. It's telling my grandparents' story, my parents' story, my story. Um, and it's, it's highly personal. I feel like Home of the Strange was like a fictionalized story of like you know, this isn't really life. Um, and this is a fiction ba highly based on life. This is like, 
so much of it is my experience and well, it's a concept record too in four it's parts a, it's a concept record and it was i think it took covid to really like tell that story and to have the bravery to tell that story um as well as my work with my the podcast and the radio show that i do point of origin I was starting to talk with a bunch of other artists of color in the genre and starting to feel this disenfranchisement and like this well but also this sense of community and like just getting more and more in touch with like other Indian artists and creators. I was like, I want to tell this story and maybe I'm not the right person to, but like, I just have to tell it. And, um, so initially when you bring this concept, cause concept records historically are interesting, right? Yeah. Some really work well and some don't. Mm -hmm. When you bring this concept record to the rest of the band you say, Hey guys, I have this idea. It's four mm -hmm. parts mm -hmm. and it's going to be based on an Indian comic book. Yeah. Right? Is it? And yeah. so what's their reaction early on? You know, I think the first reaction was like, Whoa, this is kind of crazy, but like, I love this too. I think at, at that point we, you know, with, with our fourth record mirror master, we had a number one like alternative song and, um, it was great. Uh, but like, we were like, we really were itching to tell, like dive into a story together. And, and for us as a band, like we're really a band. We're five people. We all equally say we split everything. Like everything is democracy. And so like, um, well, you, were, you actually were all living together up yeah. until recently, and we right? lived together like we had four band houses together, and Which now is so rare. By and the way. for this record, like right before COVID, we actually bought a house together too. Nice. So we have a house together that we like <laughs> is our is our headquarters, and we all live in West LA, so we all live like five minutes away from each other. By the way, most bands hate each other. Yeah. So the fact that you you're on the road, you get <laughs> off, you're like, why don't we live together again? Like you want to get yeah. away from the band members yeah. when you're not with them. So. No, it's amazing, and it's a big testament to like our you know staying power. Like we still can withstand each other. Yeah. Um, we you know we're brothers we know that but you know it was um it was it's actually easy when you when you like tell a story and like you create an architecture for like five people to live in then it's easier to tell that story whereas if you're like just trying to write songs and just be like oh, what is this about like but what is this about you just kind of get lost and you're like not sure what what we're doing collectively there's no group mentality and idea of what you're working towards so this was really great and also so it is like it's based on an indian mythology that was told through comic books to my generation, but the story is like based on five brothers who are exiled from their kingdom and um, find their way back and battle for their right to the throne. And I think um, in the story of us feeling like misfits, feeling like underdogs, like our whole career, like I think everyone could also um, understand that story because we are five brothers. We felt, we feel like we've been in exile. Now we're coming back to reclaim the right, you know, to our throne, uh, to our music even. And like, this is, we were able to get off our major label contract early and now we finally own our music. And so there's so much of this that's very personal to us that, um, I think it was easy for the guys then to really understand. Yeah. And this is the first record on your new label, right? Mm -hmm. So having been on Few by Ramen, having been on Roadrunner, talk to me about being an alternative rock band now and mm -hmm. having your own label and not having like a major behind you to really help push it out. Yeah, you know, um, we, at the end of the day, you know, we had a great relationship with the the people who we worked with before, but we wanted to have longevity. And I think it, it was COVID really, where it's like, you know, we don't make any money off our music and it was only touring. And we're like, you know, we want to have ownership of what we create. And um, it's been a learning process. I think we're lucky in that we have a career, we have a built-in fan base. And so we can take that and port it. Uh, the thing is like, I'm not sure if um, a major record label can, can honestly service an alternative band anymore um, with the exception of very few. And I, I think um, it's the future, um, but 
in a lot of ways, like, you know, the, the major labels know that too. So when you, when you go into a, like a distribution company, which is essentially you're partnering up with someone right. and, and you have more ownership of your music. Because I think you're with AWOL on this. Mm -hmm. We're with AWOL. Yeah. You know, like the, the labels know that. And so they, they want to, they will buy into that too. And so it's interesting to see. We'll, we'll see what happens in the industry and what happens with distribution companies because everything is kind of starting to like move in towards the middle where mm -hmm. everything is starting to be the same. Uh, at least there there's more, more ownership for artists and you're not forced to sign some crazy 360 deal anymore because yeah, yeah. everyone knows there is money in music. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, we'll see where it goes. And the band's really prolific, obviously. You were doing this thing during the pandemic. It was like a song a day. Mm -hmm. I think you do like, you record like 50 to 100 songs per record. Mm -hmm. Most bands do like 20 and they mm -hmm. pick the best 10 but mm -hmm. it's a lot of songs right so did some of the songs initially from those sessions kind of make it onto this record and and did you first do a record then scrap it or mm -hmm. how, did, how did this come about because it kind of came about during covid right yeah so you know fresh off of 2019 we'd played like 200 shows that year and we were like okay let's go straight back in the studio we're gonna like make a record and we don't already started writing a little bit like we just never never stop and um by the point that COVID had actually hit, we'd probably written like, you know, a hundred songs. And, um, but we were just so in this hamster wheel of like, okay, touring, releasing, touring, releasing, touring, releasing. Um, that really made us stop and think. I was like, what is this album about? What do we want to say? You know, and what do I want to say as a person? Um, cause it's been four years since you released the record. It'd been four. And at that, at that point, it'd only been like a year and a half, but I was like, and we, we were like ready. We were like, we'd actually gotten in the studio already, like made proper recordings. We're like, Oh, we, we like have a record here. And, um, but I was just like, yeah, we're not saying anything with this. And, um, I just kind of went back to the drawing board. I went to my studio at home and I, I wrote um, American Bollywood, which is a title track for this record, um, at the demo. And I sent it, I showed it to the band and I'm like this, you know, this is what I want to do. And and like, I need to devote my time doing this. And like, if you guys want to help me with that, I would love it. And, um, is the band like, wait a minute, we have this other record. What are you doing Samir? Well, at, at first I think it was a little scary. And I, I, but I think then, um, the guys were like, wait, like, yeah, like, you know, this is the time to do it. Let's, let's just start from square one and just like see what happens. And, um, we wrote like a whole new batch of songs, like a hundred more songs. A few of the songs from the previous batch made it. Um, and some of them were even from like older eras of Young the Giant. Um, and so in some ways, like it's kind of like our first record again, where we've had many years to write this record. Right, exactly. um, and um, I think it's just been the ones like not just the best ones, but the ones have been t have told the story the, the best um, that have made this record. And and I think, you know, the, the hundreds of others for every Young the Giant record, there are 80 other songs. So like right. we'll, we'll figure out like it's gonna a, be a, a big time box and place. set one day. Yes. By the way. It's going to be 400 songs. Yes. Or <laughs> we'll figure out a time and place for all that stuff, you know. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. So you start working on this record and talk a bit a little bit about how personal it is to you and and about the immigration aspect of it mm -hmm. and what it means to you, because, again, you're really putting it out there this time versus mm -hmm. other songs that are probably more about relationships and love early on in your mm -hmm. first record like we spoke about. But this is a record that's like, this is my story. This is totally. not something fictional to me. Totally. And I think, you know, um, it is told in this, like, kind of this history of, of what my grandparents went through, which is, you know, when the British left India, there was partition and there's a massive exodus of people. And that like trauma and that story is like built into the trauma of my parents. And then that trauma is built into them when they came to the States and were penniless and, and didn't know anyone, distrusted people and didn't see themselves in culture and society um, and bring that baggage onto me. And then my desire and my battle to try and like 
hold on to my identity and tell my story to, to America and be like, I belong. I, I belong. I deserve to have a seat at the table here to tell what my story is. You know, they're proud of you now. I'm sure they are. They're, right they're, they're really proud of that. Yeah. And I think it's great. Like there's a lot of specificity to the story, but at the end of the day, like there's a universality to the sacrifice of love. Really. I think that's, that's what it comes down to. It's like my grandparents, um, and the way they showed their love, um, maybe was wrong and uh, or right in their own ways and, and the way they pass it down to my parents and how this generational trauma passes and carries on with all of us. And it doesn't matter where you come from. In America, we're obviously a land of immigrants. And that story, if you pull it back all the way, you, you're going to hear some crazy stuff. And it's 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 that's fascinating to me. Yeah, were yeah. you a comic book guy growing up? Because this was based on an Indian comic book mm-hmm. that I looked at a little bit. And it's funny that the comic book was almost based on like mythology mm-hmm. versus like American comic books that are like, there's a guy, there's a girl, it's yeah. Spider-Man, let me save yeah. the day, right? Yeah. So it's interesting because I've never seen those comics before. Yeah. It's interesting that they're so, not heavy, I would say, but yeah. there's like a, a deeper meaning behind them because you don't normally see like American comic books that are about mythology. No. And I, I think um, that just like seeing like my like heritage and mythology being told through the medium of like Western comic styling, like even the stylings, like old school Superman style comics, you know, pop art style. Um, and like seeing myself and, and strong people, um, who aren't like just the stereotypes of what people think Indian people are like taxi drivers and all that doctors and stuff like these warriors. And they're like, they're have these philosophical battles over good and evil. And like, um, that was really like important to me. Um, and, uh, you know, it also just allowed me to like understand in some ways, like I know Indian mythology better than my parents do because I, I had the comic books, yeah. you know? Um, and so like, do you go um, back there much, by the way, you, you go back to India? to India. Yeah, we do. And I, I've, I've been a bunch, um, I spent a bunch of my childhood there and then the band actually, we went there together on tour in 2015 and we intend to go back again, bring this American Bollywood thing to, India next year. Are your parents like Samir? Take out the garbage. Are they like, <laughs> or do they treat you like the rock star you are? I mean, how do they? Well, you know, yeah, they they um they always try to humble me, which is great. <laughs> right. And um, you know, obviously, yeah, I have two kids now. I'm. I'm All right, I'm, congrats! And new, oh, actually, recently, right? Yes, you... yeah, I have a, a, a two month old as well now. So a two year old, two month old, and um, you know, they obviously like know I'm an adult, but at the same time, <laughs> you know, like yeah, go take out the trash. <laughs> So June 15th, Wake Up came out. What's been the reaction so far? Let's talk about, obviously, you're doing a show at the YouTube Theater coming up. So more plans for this record. Mm-hmm. It's, been, it's been amazing to bring this st- to life <clears throat> on the road. Like, these, these shows have been amazing. And for family stuff and a bunch of things, like, we've only really done select touring. So it's really only been, like, Red Rocks and then Two Nights in New York. And, you know, like, just the Red Rocks and the Hollywood Bowl yeah. and maybe Madison Square Garden, <laughs> the Forum, maybe. <laughs> well, and, it's, and it's, it's really exciting to know that, like, you know, we've, we've been gone for a while. Uh, and, you know, in general, there's, like, a lot of competition with tickets. And it's great, great to know that people still want to come see the show. And, and um, it's great to tell the story, like, it's been three and a half years since our last headlining tour. Um, and so the response has been amazing with our fans. Like everyone has been really enjoying the record and we've managed to sneak in like all the old hits and everything in between, but we are also playing a lot of this new record and, um, we haven't fully announced it yet, but we will also do like a more extensive tour next summer. Amazing. Mm-hmm. But it's funny, I was we were talking about Radiohead for a moment. Like they released that one record. It might have been free as a download and you got the mm-hmm. code. So this is interesting, the concept of this record. It's four mm-hmm. parts and it's almost like a Netflix series. You're releasing, 
each chapter at a time and there's a cliffhanger, right? So talk a little bit about sort of the marketing behind it. Because yeah. it again, it's not traditional the way you do it. There's four acts. There's like, you know, act one, act two, exile. Talk about how that all came about. Yeah. So, I mean, in some ways, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the comic book thing, right? Like you, 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 you read a comic book and then you're like, oh, what's next? And you want I wanted to serialize that instead of like a binge culture. Um, and in music, oftentimes, it's not even just a binge culture. It's just like, okay, let's let's listen to the the the, the three most popular tracks, and then like let's skip the rest of it because you know I have other things to listen to. Um, this way, you know, I'm we're really like allowing people to live with each segment, and it's 16 songs, so we wanted each each and every listener to like really experience each story. And yeah, the first act is origins. The second act is exile. The third act is battle, and the fourth act is denouement. And it's like denouement, right? That's yes. what I didn't say correctly. Well, you know, I was saying denouement for a long time. <laughs> right. and my, my almost drummer, said denouement. My, my my drummer, who's French Canadian, is like, no, it's denouement. <laughs> uh, so um, I was butchering that. But you know, it's it tells a story in so many different levels. Um, but in even sonically, it's it's just a journey. And so I wanted everyone to appreciate those moments um i think it's it's in the water like there are there are a few other artists who are doing it and in some ways um i've learned some really interesting things about releasing it in this way in some ways it's challenging but in other ways it's been like really fruitful and it's been exactly what we wanted it to be Amazing. When you play a venue, we spoke a little bit briefly about like Red Rocks, which I actually played there and it was the most incredible. It's almost like you're like on an alien spaceship and you're on Mars and mm -hmm. it's it, it's mind-blowing. You can't even take it all in. When you play a venue like that, you played the Forum not long ago, Lollapalooza, right? And I know early on, I heard an interesting um, interview you did. You said initially it was just like drug dealers that were like at our shows. Yeah. <laughs> it was like three people. And now you're playing the Forum, you're playing Red Rock. So what's that like? And, and what is that sentiment for mm -hmm. you? Like, what do you feel like when you're playing those venues? Yeah, it feels like this connectedness to humanity. I think throughout our day and life, especially through covid we all feel like exiled from ourselves and exiled from like just people in general and yeah. like we all feel so different from one another and i think um but when you can be a part of like a big crowd like that and be a part of something together you you feel connected to like what why we're all here you know and so and it's like the most spiritual most present that I'm ever is when I'm on stage. Yeah, it's almost like you have this character that you create, right? It's mm -hmm. almost like an outer body experience. And exactly. Unless you do that, people can't really understand what that's like. But totally. I think the best moments are when you're sort of out of your body and you're just really mm -hmm. going, you're not really overthinking it. Totally. And it's like, you know, even like the comic books thing, it's like, I feel like I'm a superhero sometimes. Because yeah. like on stage, I'm like a superhero. And then I can go, you know, to the grocery store the next day and I feel like a completely different person. Definitely, definitely. We chatted a little bit too about when you first got here about Point of Origin, your show, and the fact that you, during COVID, you started doing this and you were doing your own editing and we were saying it's a lot of work mm -hmm. when you're doing all this stuff together. So talk to me about the show. Initially it was mm -hmm. on Pandora. Mm -hmm. Now I think it's on Alt Nation. Mm -hmm. uh, and again, like what it means to you and a little bit, it's not that far from this, which is mm -hmm. supposed to be about your journey, although you're talking, you're telling, you know, people's journey that people that are immigrants and mm -hmm. a different perspective. Yeah. But, uh, Tell me about Point of Origin and, and kind of what it means to you at this point. Yeah, so, you know, it kind of all started um, when we'd finished our last tour at the Forum. And um, I had a, a friend um, who was a mentor of mine, um, a dean at USC, and he was like, you know, I think you're like the first Indian American lead singer in a rock band to like headline the Forum, like ever. And Incredible. You know, and like, why isn't why isn't any like why doesn't anyone have like ticker tape here why is no one talking about this i'm like i don't know like this is you know and it it, it was um 
it, it, it kind of like talked about a lot of the things I'd felt of not really feeling quite understood and like that the challenges that I'd went through like were just kind of normalized and I didn't have a community to celebrate it with. Um, and I was like, I want to create this community. Like, I want to create this community where we can kind of commiserate, but also like talk about our successes together. And so I was approached with the opportunity to like have my own segment on Alt Nation and uh, Pandora and Alt Nation are sister companies. And so like, um, they're like, we want you to be a radio DJ. And then we want you to create a playlist on Pandora. And I was like, you know what? I have way too much free time on my hands. I'm going to do a podcast, but I'm going to segment it and call it like it was a stories playlist. It was like 10 songs that were like that artists, like those life, their life songs. And then it was like the four segments. And it was like, yeah, like their origin of coming to America. They're all amazing artists of color in the past, present, future of the genre. And I wanted to kind of like recenter the narrative of why, of what people think alternative music is. Because like alternative music at the end of the day is something alternative. It's something different. And it, it, it formed at the same time as hip hop. And there was like a lot of like cross-pollination happening at the very beginning of what alternative music is. And I think people have lost the understanding of that. And so I wanted to try and bring that history back. And um, in, in like talking with all these different artists, um, it was just like really exciting. It's been really, really fun. And as now like more life has resumed, I haven't um, been doing the podcast element as much, but I, I want to bring it back again. Um, well, we talk about the fact that you recorded a hundred songs, did two albums, yeah. and you're doing the podcast. Yes. There's a lot to do there for you during it's a COVID. Lot, yeah. A lot to do and, and some newborns as well. Exactly. And, and, you know, but the one thing that I love is that um, the spot on Alt Nation is like I give each artist that I feature like guaranteed spins for that month. And I've had several of them actually start charting on Alt Nation. And that's Amazing. like still radio is still an important thing. And um, when you have fans around the country and around the world who are listening to music, like that can change things for your career. And so I'm like very, very proud of that, that I've been able to do that for some artists. Might there be like a Young the Giant record label one day soon where you're signing other artists? You never know, right? Yeah. I mean, we have our own imprint now, like Jungle Youth Recordings. And I think we'll just have to see. I mean, it's something that we're most definitely interested in. Well, 9 Million Records, the new album, American Bollywood, the podcast, obviously from the forum to Red Rocks, anything you haven't done or anything coming up next year that you're super excited about? feels like you got a lot on your plate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to continue. I'm um, like moving my world into just like telling and creating and, and, and telling stories. And there'll be a lot of a lot of touring. <laughs> and so it's like fitting life and fitting all these other things together. But um, um, I'll be around. I think you have a show coming up at the YouTube Theater November 12th, I believe. November 12th at the YouTube Theater, yeah. And then a tour next year that we can talk about. Well, we're kind of talking about it. American Bollywood, four parts, 16 songs, and obviously so much. And check out Point of Origin. We can't forget about that. So so, so great to meet you. you too, Thank Scott. you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. And we'll, I hopefully I'll get to check out one of these gigs coming up. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks, Samir. Well, that was great. Young the Giants, Miragadia. Make sure you check them out at the YouTube Theater November 12th. Make sure you check out their new record, American Bollywood, out now in four parts. If you like the show, please make sure you rate and review the show on all platforms. Theme music by Robbie Hoppin. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate it. We have a lot of super exciting shows coming up for you. Have a great day. See you soon.
Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.